Frank, I have two stories for you today that leads us to a great topic. Are you ready? Ooh, story time. Yes. Uh, are, are these going to involve like famous people, James? Are you going to name drop? Mm, no, I will not name drop. I will name drop a movie and a company today. That is what I'll be doing. Okay. What do you got? Let's hear it. As a child, uh, as a as a young lad, if you will, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, I mean, I came from the 80s. I grew up in the 90s. And in this time, this day and age, this is when uh, computers came of age for me personally, the personal computer, if you will. The big boxy ones. They were cool. Big boxy desktops. They also tried to shrink them down, but they were not so good when they did that. So bigger, boxier, hefty, big CRTs of the day. And at that time, the internet was still a little unknown to people. And Hollywood uh, attempted to display what (laughs) internet culture was in a, a single movie that became a staple, a coming-of-age tale, if you will, a little movie uh, known as Hackers, Frank. I thought you were going to say The Net. Okay. Which one came first, The Net or Hackers? It's a great question. Let's look it up. Mm. Hackers movie. Hackers, I'm going to agree with you. Pretty good movie. I remember at the time just throwing all sorts of shade on it because it was ridiculous. It was a Hollywood production of something they were trying to, something kind of boring, honestly, that they were trying to make entertaining. Uh, But uh, it really caught on. I remember I was in a high school cafeteria one day and this rando kid that was usually kind of a bully to me came up to me. He's like, hey, uh, could you teach me to hack? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, <laughs> what has happened to culture? <laughs> Hackers, classic. And I will confirm, uh, The Net did come first. They were both 1995 cult classics. And uh, that was July 1995. And Hackers was September. So barely, but they were probably filmed around the same time. <laughs> uh, and uh, the the thing with Hackers that, that caught my attention as a child at nine was that like I could not necessarily hack things, but like I could tell a computer to do something and it would do it. And rewatching hackers recently uh, with Heather, I, I forced her to do it. There was a lot Uh-oh. of, I mean, it, Mary James. It, <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's not a great movie uh, in any fashion and it's really not everything about it is incorrect. However, there is one scene that uh, really catches my attention. And it is when they're overlooking this computer, this little laptop that's there. And Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie are sitting there and they're talking about the dot matrix display and the 28.8 kilobyte, like, you know, megabyte, like upload link or whatever. And then, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, I think Lee, he goes, he goes, or no, she goes, she goes, yeah, it's running risk architecture. And, And Johnny's like, risk is good. Uh, and, and that always caught me. And, and, you know, as, as a nine-year-old, I didn't really get it. You know what I mean? I was like, whoa, this Dade character is pretty cool. Kate's pretty rad. Um, you know, I want a cool name like Nikon or, or, you know, serial killer. Uh, and that's what I thought. That's what I thought hackers did, but it, it always stuck out to me. And it wasn't until years later that I started to understand computer architecture. And then just the other day, the Google Android Developers Summit is happening. 
And uh, I forgot what the guy's name is. Uh, so apologize. It's a little late here in in Germany <laughs> where I'm recording from. Uh, the one the one guy from from the Android team, he was talking about one of his first computers and he started to talk about the architecture and that it was a, a, a machine from Acorn, which became Risk, which became Arm. And then I started to, it took me 33 years, but it all came together of understanding architectures because I've gone into Visual Studio and I've selected Arm and I've selected x86. I know there's mm-hmm. Arm architectures, but I didn't, I was like, whatever, it's just some certain thing, but I didn't actually understand and put it all together until now. And I figured it's a good time to talk about risk and arm and all the good things because computers are changing, Frank. Computers are changing. Yeah, it's a timely topic. We're all talking about arms. We've been running arms and all of our devices. But man, that scene was so good. I remember being so jealous of Angelina's new computer. It was like, did she have a painted at that point? No, the painting came later. But yeah, later, <laughs> it had like yeah. all the yeah had all the memory. And I remember at the time I did know what Risk was, but it was also like, is she using a Mac or something then? Because I knew like PCs were the opposite of Risk, uh, Intel x86. What do we call it? A uh, complex instruction set. They're just the bucket of computer instructions. I was watching. Um, the .NET Core people just added API bindings for processor intrinsics. So these are like low-level instructions that normally a compiler would emit, but maybe you don't trust the compiler to emit them. So you just want to take control and essentially write assembly code in your C-sharp code. I know, crazy, but you can do it. <laughs> and uh, what they had to do was map out all these esoteric instructions. And the list for x86, x64 with all the SSE instructions and AVX and AVX2 instructions was just gigantic. Now, I know that's not exactly what we're talking about here, but it just blows my mind because when I think of an instruction set, I think of a 100 instructions. I don't think about thousands, I guess, is what these bigger chips have. So uh, let's, let's reminisce about uh, ARM and talk about all the places it can go, I guess. Yeah, let's do it. Because to me, you know, I've always understood at some level that, you know, for all intents and purposes, I guess I knew that nearly every single device is running an ARM processor. Now, I never really understood why they ran an ARM processor, because to me, I grew up in the Intel age in which everything was an x86 processor, like you mentioned. So can you actually explain to me why everything is an ARM processor and uh, as far as mobile mobility goes, because I'm sitting in front of two computers right now. I'm sitting in front of a MacBook Pro 2013, late 2013, great model, great keyboard, and in front of a Surface Book 2. And those are both running x86 Intel chips, uh, which is in almost every single one of, of my computers that I have. And I think even AMD processors... Those are x86 processors, AMD processors, right? Mm-hmm, 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 sure, yeah. <laughs> well, boy, boy, let's summarize the PC industry over the last 30 years. Um, I guess there's, there's one big problem um, facing x86 and Intel, and that is they have been backwards compatible to their 16-bit processors basically forever. And they have all that 
baggage of history, not just the backwards compatibility, but just the mindset, like the way the architecture was designed. Specifically, it's a complex instruction set. They have lots of instructions, not a minimal set of instructions. I was looking at a tutorial of how to write an operating system kernel. So this is the very first code that the processor executes on boot, if you ignore the BIOS. Let's ignore the BIOS. Um, so this code, when the processor starts, the processor starts in a 16-bit mode. And then you have to slowly enable features to bring it up to 32-bit mode, turn on extended memory. Once you got that working, now you can bring it up to 64-bit mode and do this and that. And you have that nasty thing called the BIOS that you're probably talking to during this time to talk to hardware. And that whole architecture just basically can't change in x86 desktop hardware. They could certainly change it, but it would, wouldn't be compatible with any hardware out there or run any software. So it'd be pointless to change it. So in some ways, you can see we can break the argument into CISC versus RISC, complex versus reduced instruction sets. We can say modern versus old, because anytime you start from scratch with a modern ARM processor, you can throw away tons of history. So there's that difference. And then there's also simply that Intel became complacent, especially uh, their processors are a product of the time and are power hungry. They just consume a lot of power. It's, it's as simple as that for the performance over power ratio, which is basically what you want to care about in CPUs. Uh, they've fallen, they haven't been keeping up with what uh, these new RISC chips have been able to do. Part of that is because of their backwards compatibility. Some of that's because of the CISC stuff. But, you know, gosh, remember those bugs that uh, uh, security holes, bugs going around and all our computers got 30% slower? Wasn't that the worst? That was basically, to me, the nail in the coffin for x86. Yeah, it seemed as if I mean, so there's a lot of things that you just described that seem not so good for mobile in in general. So I'm starting to understand yeah. the 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 rationale there uh, as far as going to an arm because you said you can kind of it is a it, it's in the name of risk, which is a reduced instruction set computing versus, like you said, CISC, which is complex instruction set computing uh, and reduced seems pretty good uh, in general. And uh, you know, and even reading the Wikipedia page, it's like, oh, you know, system on a chip, system on modules that include, you know, everything in, in one. You can kind of put those all into the instruction set. So having less baggage, being able to be smaller, tighter, faster um, for what they're attempting to do seems a lot better. And especially if you're going through those levels, like you said, of the 62 bit or the 16 bit to the 32 the bit to the 64 bit and like that that thing. But yeah, I remember, mm -hmm. uh, that same exact thing. It wasn't too long ago is what this year, last year, this year, whenever our, all of our computers got slower. And I know now Microsoft is working on a secure core for windows that, that, that I think I just heard on uh, tech meme ride home that they're working with different manufacturers to have their, their, you know, bios or whatever that, you know, have the secure core variant. So it, it you know, doesn't have to go through that worry in the future or whatever, just kind of like oh. best practices or whatever. So it's kind of 
I'm, compliance. I'm still so bitter from that because it was right at the time that I bought my new iMac Pro. And I'm like, no, I don't want to install your CPU upgrade. I don't care about security. If someone wants to hack my computer, let them have it. I want my speed. <laughs> but they took it away, James. They took it away. So that brings up something funny, though. Um, I was doing some performance tests lately. Uh, I was curious about the 3D performance of CPU 3D performance of um, iPhones and specifically which libraries to use for vector performance. And so I did a bunch of performance tests. I like wrote some code, wrote it in this library, wrote it in that library, ran it all on the same machine. And I actually did my iMac versus my new iPhone. And I say new because I'm about to give it a lot of compliments. <laughs> uh, and I found out that my iPhone running uh, Apple's latest ARM processor was in some cases faster than my iMac Pro running a Xeon processor, faster than the iPhone. The Xeon runs at 3 gigahertz and the iPhone runs at, no one really knows, but around 2.65 gigahertz. And still the iPhone in some cases was faster than that big Xeon chip. And let's not mention that this big Xeon is plugged into a wall and has all the power it could ever want. And this thing is, uh, the, the ARM processor is running in my hand with like roughly a day battery life. It's just amazing. Yeah, so why why is that i guess like why of all this ability one would this brand because you just got this imac so it's not like an old imac this is a newer imac which probably has like tons of of ram in it and like one of the most powerful cpus on the market like what how is that even possible that i mean i know that apple's good right and i understand that (laughs) so like why is it that this super beefy cpu is struggling to keep up with an iPhone, I mean, that doesn't correlate at all because if I am then compiling code, like why am why aren't I just compiling code on my iPhone at this point, Frank? Well, <laughs> maybe you should be. <laughs> Go get my app. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, Good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, um. Well, it's hard. The why is always so much harder than the what, right? But I can make a few guesses. First, some caveats, maybe. The iPhone runs in what they call burst modes. So that 2.65 gigahertz, you're probably not always getting that. That would kind of tear through the battery pretty fast. So first, the device has to recognize, oh, I need a lot of processor. And then um, it'll start actually clocking up that processor and making it run as fast as it can. So there's that caveat. And no one knows those exact mechanics. So can it run in burst mode forever? Well, we don't know. Something interesting came up during my test, though, and this is good to know for any iOS developers out there. There's actually a CPU clock running in the background watching how much of the CPU you take up. And if you spend more than 90 seconds with 100% CPU over a 120 second period, so something like three quarters CPU percent usage, they start yelling at you. You start getting console logs about stop using the CPU. Please stop using the CPU. Please stop using the CPU. So there's still constraints happening in the mobile world. And then, so so those are the big caveats. The last one is that uh, I totally forgot. (laughs) There was one more, but why don't you comment on those and hopefully I'll remember. (laughs) Well, so that that is uh, something that I guess we have to remember is that even though that processor 
is crazy, super powerful, it is being locked down by the operating system. That operating system is our good friend iOS 13. And uh, not only are you then constrained to the the container in which your application can run in because you don't have full access to everything, it also means that the operating system can do whatever it wants. And in fact, I know that that is not really the case on Windows. I'm sure there's something in there, but if I decide to run Camtasia, which I run Camtasia to record uh, video on my computer, and that's pretty lightweight, uh, as soon as I go to process and export that video, uh, mm-hmm. that puppy pegs my CPU 100%, nothing else can happen, you are locked <laughs> down. You know, And and I literally, yeah. I, I, it is... It is allowing me to work and it is there some throttle, but really it sucks it down. Or <laughs> for instance, we were doing some machine learning uh, inside of Visual Studio with cool. AutoML. Uh, AutoML uh, is pretty cool and it allows you to do a bunch of things, just like kind of image classification, text analysis, things like that inside of Visual Studio. Uh, and real quick, we'll have to do an episode on that. That sounds fascinating. I got to catch we, up. <laughs> we should really have probably Brie on Brie from um, a PM on the, on the team. She is way smarter than me when it comes to not only machine learning, uh, but also what we're doing in visual studio, but it's cool. Cause you can throw some images on it and it'll pick the best algorithm for you automatically, but it, you hit start and now it is running machine learning algorithms on your machine inside of visual studio. So not only is visual studio open, but it's boom. And like, you can't do anything else. Like just leave it alone for two minutes, five minutes, whatever. And you're done where you you don't, you're not allowed to do that on an iPhone because it's an iPhone, Frank. It's 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 not a computer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's just apples to oranges here. Um, the iPhone has something like two to four cores, depending on the mood of the operating system. And, my iMac has 10 cores with hyper-threading, so kind of 20-ish. So there's a real power difference here. We're talking about single-threaded performance. And I finally remembered what my last point was, and ironically, it was the most important point. The majority of code runs faster on the iMac, but by percentages, not like orders of magnitude. The majority of the code is maybe 20 or 30% faster than the iPhone, but some bits of code on the iPhone where it's able to make use of, let's say, vectorizing instructions, it's able to do a lot better than that. So we're not at a stage yet where you can replace all your Xeon server processors with iPhones, but we're getting there. <laughs> we're on like that heel of the curve for sure. Yeah, and, and I think that we're starting to see some light, if you will, uh, with some hardware and th- there's already hardware out there that I'm pretty sure is running arm, but I'm not positive and I want to confirm, but let's take a quick break, Frank, and thank our amazing sponsor. They are back and I am so excited to have them yet again, our good friends over at Sync Fusion. Yes, I love Sync Fusion. I use Sync Fusion in basically nearly every single one of my apps because they have over 145, 145, Frank, that's a lot Woo. of components just for Xamarin. Of course, they have all sorts of amazing controls for web, ASP.NET Core, Angular, Blazor, React, Vue.js, JavaScript, you name it, desktop, WinForms, WinForms.pf, and of course, Xamarin. They have a brand new release that does a whole bunch of things. They actually, they go beyond just iOS and Android and Windows. They have 
Xamarin Forms, uh, essentially UI controls for Xamarin for even WPF. They, which is crazy. They just, they're like, yeah, we're just going to do it. Why not? Uh, and then they added material design visual support for tons of their controls and they have brand new editors. Frank, they have a rich text editor cross platform for WYSI wig editing. Frank. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I need to get on that. <laughs> get on it. It's amazing. They have all sorts of other things like avatar views. So you can put images and initials in circles. They have this really cool thing called an effect view that lets you do little ripples and rotations and scaling to any view. You just wrap a view in it. And even the shimmer, you know, when you go to a website and you get like preloading, like cells of content has that little, that little, that little uh, ripple that goes down. It's like, this thing is loading. Uh, you can just drop in that control and boom, you're done. It's so amazing. All you got to do is go to syncfusion.com. That's it. It's in the show notes, syncfusion.com. Pick what you're developing for. They have awesome stuff and even a free community license. Head to syncfusion.com to learn more. Thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. This week's pod. Thanks, Syncfusion. Every time you read that, I'm like, God, I got to use more of these controls. <laughs> you do. You have <laughs> no excuse. No excuse, None. Frank. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So here's what I want to talk about. Two things. Uh, you have a touch bar. You have a touch bar, correct? I do not. You know what a touch not. bar is. You know what a touch bar is. I do know what is. a touch bar is. Should we explain it for those who haven't upgraded? It's a bar that you touch. Uh, Ooh, and it's like, I like it. It's it's a touch bar. So it's a little bar that sits above your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero row, and it replaces a bunch of you know music controls and. Uh, audio controls and you get a little tiny touchscreen and for all intents and purposes it's a little computer inside your computer and <laughs> i assume that this is running arm i assume it's a watch os device like i just assume it's watch or, or something like that i was gonna say like an iphone one like first generation processor but yeah exactly they're like well we have a lot of these left over let's throw them in there yeah, Macs, uh, Mac computers have become weird hybrids lately. So that little touch bar that's in the laptops, yeah, that's, I'm pretty sure that's an ARM processor too. Here's what's even weirder. When my iMac boots up, it boots using an ARM processor that decides who's going to get power, am I going to boot this crazy old-fashioned x86 architecture or not, am I going to do this, am I going to do that? There's a little ARM processor <laughs> in my iMac that's actually doing all the power management and all the security of the machine because that's the only way Apple trusted <laughs> the x86 monstrosity. So when I was saying we're, we're getting on that curve, gosh, now that we're talking this through, it's so obvious. When, James, are we getting uh, ARM Macs? But then I, I think I said those words to you and you're like, dude, there's a new Windows ARM out there <laughs> that's right well you remember the old windows arm win rt i do i do i i bought one i really liked win rt um you know i'm one of those people that like silverlight and liked win rt and are just sad that like they didn't do well in the market and i can't spend all my time programming for them i thought they were great devices uh, but maybe a tiny bit ahead of their time as we were talking I would say so, yes. And in fact, I also bought one and I bought one for family members. Uh, I thought the Surface itself was a cool device. And then the Surface obviously went on to be very, very successful, switching to x86 processors. However, Frank, the ARM-based Surface is back. The Surface Pro X. 
See, I didn't even believe you when you said that. I was like, really? They're bringing Arm back? Because as I understood it, it's there were a few things gone wrong with Arm. First, they threw Windows 8 out on everyone, which was not good user tested. It had a lot of flaky UI things. Number two, the puppy was underpowered, and so it wasn't putting your best foot forward. Number three, it was a weird version of Windows. They didn't give you the full version of Windows, and we'll find out why with point number four. Point number four, there were no apps for it, because no one really saw this coming. We were all still trying to make our apps 64-bit, x86 64-bit. We're all like, wait, what? We need ARM versions of a Windows app? That's crazy talk. And so there was just no software for it. Yeah, and 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 this time it's different. So Microsoft decided to build their own chip with Qualcomm, uh, which nice. is seems like the right route. I mean, if you look at what Apple has done for iPhones or just about anything, they build their own chips in general. So yeah, that's quite impressive to hear. It's sad about the Qualcomm part, but everyone, it's like a, it's like the industry tax. If you want to get a modern ARM chip, you have to deal that does all the. Um, LTE and radio stuff, you basically have to deal with Qualcomm. They have a monopoly. It's quite unfortunate. It's very true. Even Apple, I believe, settled with Qualcomm. However, who knows what Apple will do next? You know, Apple, they like to build their own (laughs) stuff. Uh, And yeah, this is the first ever three gigahertz ARM processor. It says on a PC. So I assume that means ever, but it has two teraflops of graphics processing power. And that's a lot of teraflops. I don't even know what that means but that sounds great and uh yeah it has gigabit lte integrated with a snapdragon x24 modem that's fancy words but like um (laughs) yeah microsoft basically you know teamed up with qualcomm to work on this and and uh i think that's really cool i mean just in general i mean i work for microsoft i know nothing i knew nothing about this device i know nothing about the team that works on it i basically know nothing at all and (laughs) uh, uh i thought it was it was really interesting because this device uh, looks really great. It has this really cool um, touchscreen in it with an awesome pen. And like the pen goes into the foldable keyboard, which I think is really neat. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's a device that kind of is uh, real. I mean, the idea that the Surface Line always had was to turn your laptop into a, into a, into a computer, your, your tablet into a computer. And the iPad Pro has tried to get closer to that, and iPadOS has tried to get closer to that. However, the Surface Pro X runs a little operating system called Windows 10, the full thing. Oh, I've heard of that. That's that startup out of Redmond. Okay. What do they call it? Crazy kids (laughs) When you have a startup inside a giant multinational corporation. Oh, intrapreneurial. Yeah, you're not an entrepreneur. Mm. You're an intrapreneur. Yeah. Uh, so three gigahertz arm. That's impressive. I I was just saying the iPhone is at 2.65. Uh, do you know what the Androids are at right now? Like what's a Pixel 4 running? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, Pixel 4 text. It must specs. be up there. Yeah. Uh, they are an arm based they're Qualcomm Snapdragon 855 with a pixel neural core. <laughs> Everyone's putting their neural cores in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Arm, arm, arm. So, but then you told me the most amazing thing because I'm like, James, how can you release an ARM-based Windows computer today? There's still no software for it. There just isn't. (laughs) My apps, uh, I have a few Windows apps and none of them are compiled for ARM. Technically, some of them are .NET, so could. But as far as I know, uh, well, yeah, whatever. Not all of them is the problem. And then you blew my mind. You said, Frank, that's fine. These ARM process these ARM processors can run x86. And I'm like, what? What? Is that even possible? Please explain all that to me now, James. Yeah, because it, this was maybe a, f- a year or two ago, Microsoft announced this program. Uh, I got to look at, up at what it up now, what it is. But it was basically running x86 uh, emulation on ARM devices. It's called Windows on ARM. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. W O A. And the idea, whoa, (laughs) whoa, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) And the idea there is that through an emulation layer, you can run, you can run x86 applications. And and when you read reviews about these devices, you're like, oh, that makes uh, starting to make a lot of sense. I don't actually know exactly how it does do it um through it but the the whole idea is that it's arm based you know x86 emulation and uh if if you look at uh, if you look at that it, it makes a lot of sense because we're very good at uh hi- like hypervisors and hyperving and emulating yeah. things and there's just some really really smart person that or team I'd assume it's probably more than one person that was able <laughs> to get uh it working compared to Surface RT devices, which also ran ARM, but your applications had to be compiled for ARM. And you can still do that, and you would most likely get better um, performance uh, out of it. But from what what I understanding is, uh, it works pretty great. So, Man, I think you just ruined my weekend. All I'm going to be doing is studying how WoW works. Uh, that's going to be awesome to find out. I'm really curious if it's um, a patented technology or if it's something that they talk about publicly, because I wonder about Apple switching over to ARM. It's been a kind of rough ride, all of us upgrading to 64-bit. I think a lot of people are hesitating on installing Catalina because they know they won't be able to run their ancient 32-bit apps anymore, even though... I run a lot of apps and I found I only had like three or four. So I think it's less of a big deal than some people are making it out. But it has been a rough ride going from 32-bit to 64-bit. Adding a whole new architecture. I'm just scared that software is going to hold back hardware in this case. And so I'm really interested if Apple will be able to take advantage of some kind of uh, technology like this called Mo Mac on arm. <laughs> Mo. Well, you, the here's the funny part about Woe that Mo would also have a problem with is <laughs> so uh, the issue here is that uh, there's a big push from Apple to to ship 64 bit apps, and the issue here is that. To run an x86 app on ARM, it needs to be 32-bit. <laughs> so, Oh, no. <laughs> so um, all the work we just did ruined it. Okay, great. So that's probably not going to be an option. <laughs> yeah. So so from what it says is 
to run this emulator, ARM chips can run 32-bit apps, but not all 64-bit versions. Uh, it does say that Windows Pro X can natively run 64 apps, but only those that have been ported to ARM 64. So the idea here is for ARM for 64-bit apps, you should build and compile against ARM 64, and they are able to compile it. Uh, it's it, it's it's like this weird, wacky thing, but I'm pretty sure that in general, it means that most apps will be able to run and be fine because most apps still have 32-bit versions often that are there and still supported. And when you're building an x86 app, it is just a checkbox to do that for any hoft, uh, or for any software being built. Uh, and then, of course, if you're building for uh, UWP, App, your UWP applications, there's a checkbox to add ARM 64-bit support so you can easily extend it. So really, as developers, we're just hitting a few different checkboxes and allowing the compiler to do the magic of whatever it magically can do. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I was just going to say that we're, we're getting, I'm getting excited at least about this WOA, WOA technology and perhaps MO technology, but the truth is they're transitional tech it's really up to developers and since this is developer podcast i guess we're talking about ourselves here uh we need to do a better job of pumping out arm processor versions of things i even noticed this when i'm on the raspberry pi uh linux has been running on arm forever and you run an arm version of linux on the raspberry pi but it's surprising every so often you'll run into libraries that have not been compiled for arm and it's a little bit frustrating as app developers uh, we don't have too much of an excuse. <laughs> we don't really use processor-specific stuff, so it really shouldn't be too big of a deal for us to recompile our apps for different processors. Especially if you're a .NET developer, it basically should be trivial. Like you said, should just be a checkbox. So I think that as developers, we're just going to have to be cognizant of the world is always changing. New processors are always coming out, and we got to keep up with it all and i personally look forward to our arm future and perhaps uh processors beyond yeah and and in regards to what apple and google have done on the 64-bit side of things is they have required uh, you to ship updates and to bring it over even for the iphone and for google google requires you to ship a 64-bit version of your app to google play you cannot ship a new app and at some point in the future uh it will be all applications and all updates to support a 32-bit version only they said listen we want our applications to run best so they've done two things right google has not only required you to ship a 64-bit version but they say hey we know that you need to ship a 32-bit version maybe an x86 and an x86 64-bit version and an arm 64-bit version so now you have (laughs) four abis yeah, <laughs> Android binary in, uh, interfaces. And uh, the issue then becomes your app becomes large. So they developed an entire new packaging system called the Android application bundle. Uh, and what that does is you create a mega package, give it to Google, and then Google will automatically generate an Android package for the user's device on the fly when they download it from the App Store, which is quite amazing in general. (laughs) They create all the variants of your application that could possibly be downloaded and installed by anybody in in real time. So the application becomes smaller than ever because it's it's everything that only the device that your user is using needs, which is pretty uh, incredible (laughs) in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I always thought the um, fat binary was a little bit awkward. In some ways, it's nice as a developer because we can just go hit all the checkboxes, hit compile. And yeah, all of a sudden your app is 300 megabytes because it has literally four copies of itself inside of there. Um, but for uploading, you know, I like a single file and it's a single download, but efficiency ran out. Yeah, there's no reason to ship around a three or 400 meg app when it really only needs to be 80 megabytes or something like that. I remember iCircuit was really having this problem because there was ARM processors, ARM V7s, and then I almost think there was like another one, like an ARM 9 and then 64-bit. And then like it was just getting to be way too many processors and my binary was getting huge. I think Apple is doing something similarly tricky, but it's all a little more closed curtains and so no one knows specifically. But something's coming to mind from WWDC. Either way. Uh, I, I wish that everyone just used .NET so I didn't have to ship around binaries. <laughs> like, why am I writing processor-specific code? I mean, that is so pointless. It's just talk about a waste of time. And so having to deal with these um, architectures and APIs and all that stuff, it's it's just grunt work that I hope someday will go away. But I have this deep sinking feeling in my heart to know that people love nerdy crap like this and we're always going to be stuck with it that's true yeah i don't know do well do you think apple's gonna ship uh i mean it's been rumored for a well, long they time tried. they tried they tried they used llvm bytecode and they're all like we could totally recompile this to other things except llvm bytecode contains an abi in it so you can't go from intel to arm using um lvm bytecode so again, .NET wins. <laughs> yeah, because the 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 dream would be that, I mean, in general, if it was ARM, then you could just take your ARM-based iOS applications, just kind of run them. But I guess with Catalyst, then yeah. they are magically creating some shim. No, layer. no magic, no magic. Yeah. Uh, for Catalyst, you compile your app for Intel x86 64-bit. There, there's no ARM involved. It's all 64-bit Intel code. Oh, interesting. They, re they recompiled UIKit for Intel, and now you link against the Intel. There's no magic arm stuff happening, I see. which is really muddying the waters. <laughs> so your app is multi-processor pretty much no matter what these days. That's, uh, that is... Uh, actually, I've never had anyone, and, and obviously Apple wouldn't, wouldn't even really put it that way, has described Catalyst that way and it makes a sense because that's exactly what it's doing when you think about it and this seems like the first time in which i take my ios application and i literally compile it for different architecture types because in ios i'm compiling always for different arms for android there's there's ARM x86 and <laughs> MIPS and MIPS. Don't forget MIPS. 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 I forgot about MIPS. I did forget. <laughs> uh, well, you know, in iOS, it's actually been a little different than that um, because we have been creating simulator builds forever. Mm. Remember those? Mm -hmm. What kind of code are those? Intel. And so UIKit has been compiled for Intel since the very beginning. So Catalyst, in some ways, was easy. In a lot of other ways, it's very hard for Apple because there's Mac stuff they have to add to it. But from the processor level, we've been running iOS apps on Intel chips forever now. Is that why some APIs don't work in the simulator? Is it because like they, you know? Yeah, 
It's exactly why, because it's a simulator, not an emulator. They recompiled the code down to Intel. They didn't compile the code for ARM and then emulate an ARM like Android does. For good reasons, I think it's a lot faster not to emulate ARM. But, um, oh, geez, it just occurred to me. What if we get truly hybrid machines with, like, a powerful ARM processor and a powerful Intel chip? And then you could run your iOS simulator? Oh, okay, this is bad. Let's not talk about this anymore. But, yeah, (laughs) lots of possibilities. What if, if I get, man, I'm really curious about this Windows Surface Pro X. Because if it's running an ARM processor... Does that mean I could run the Android emulator, which is emulating ARM on an ARM processor, and then it would be fast because ARM on ARM would be fast, question mark? Uh, It would be up to the emulator. Now, the thing is, Intel chips, because they're big and powerful, have technology like hypervisor. I don't know what the ARM equivalent of hypervisor is, but it's possible for sure if it's a big ARM chip and it's capable of that. That'd be that'd be pretty pretty nice actually because it'd be yeah I don't know I mean it makes sense because yeah the the hypervisor that in Haxum that um, the QEM QEM whatever the the, the Android emulator's Q-E-M-U. name QEMU 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 what does that stand for that stands for something that you know oh emulator I don't know it's just something. an emulation package it's a multi emulator package oh. Yeah, they use that, which and then that has been made to work on those different things. But it's anyways, all way too confusing for me in general. But um, (laughs) I think I now understand a little bit better about architectures and where things are going. But yeah, x86 isn't going to go away, obviously. No, it's too much momentum. I mean, it'll go away in 200 years, but... (laughs) Long, long after we're dead, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) We're stuck with it for the rest of our lives. Um, It's not so bad, right? I mean, everything works as long as you stay in a high level language. Hopefully you shouldn't run into these processor issues. Uh, .NET Core runs on all the big OSs. Mono literally runs on every piece of hardware you can think of. So as developers, I think we're pretty insulated from a lot of this. But it is just um, work and effort to keep up and make sure that we're, yeah, make sure that we're (laughs) available on all these crazy machines. Yeah. Always be compiling on all architectures. That's that's, that's the the name. And remember, people, (laughs) risk is good. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. And and, uh, hack the planet. (laughs) Hack the planet. They're, They're trashing our rights. Um, all right. Um, before I get into too many more hackers references, I is late over here. I got to go to bed, Frank. Thank you for um, teaching me a little bit about architecture and not coding architecture, machine <laughs> device architecture. Um, what an overuse of the word. I, yeah. I'm still blown away by woe. I can't read. I can't wait to read about woe. <laughs> woe. Good. And uh, next week, we'll get a full recap of Frank's in-depth, whoa, updated report. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning yeah. in. Uh, and uh, Frank, thanks for being awesome. Don't forget that we do have a Discord that you can come chat with us. Just go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a Discord button. There's a Patreon button. It was really amazing uh, over here. I was just in Belgium and uh, in Germany and so many amazing listeners. Uh, I put out a few stickers and they were all gone immediately. 
So thanks to all of our patrons that are out there. We have some special episodes for you. We release one, at least we're trying like once a month or so, uh, which is cool. And you also get some stickers sent to you as well if you are a supporter. Uh, and that's fine. You don't have to give us any money. In fact, I, I thank everyone that said that's completely unnecessary. You don't need to give us any money at all, but we do appreciate it. It helps the show go. But uh, something that's even more helpful is leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review there, or just go ahead and tweet at us at MergeConflictFM. Ah, oh, Frank, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.